Welcome to the podcast, Recording Drums with me, Blair Sinta. Today is my good friend Victor Andrizzo. Um, if you don't know Victor, he's probably one of the busiest uh, studio drummers in LA. Um, also, uh, holding the drum chair with Alanis Morissette since 2008, uh, when I left that gig. Um, Victor is... Uh, an incredible player, super creative, incredible feel, um, comes from a kind of cool, unschooled background, and he really worked his way uh, and did what he needed to do to, you know, to play on albums, to play on film music, um, and as of recently, kind of get into his own home studio. He'd always had, for, you know, close to 15 years, he had studios with friends, um, kind of collectives, engineers, bass players, keyboard players. Uh, but the pandemic kind of forced him and LA real estate forced him into, uh, his garage. So he's recording out there now. Um, yeah, Victor, just a great dude. This is a, this is a nice conversation. Um, as always, my courses are for sale. Uh, improve your groove, introduction to recording, snare sound Bible, uh, I'm also available for lessons and sessions uh, here at my house. And uh, that's it. Okay. Let's check out the conversation with Victor. See y'all soon. You started to have like, well, from what I know, you started to have studios with friends and like, what was that first studio with Vince and Dave? The one on Selma? Was that the first like place you kind of had like with friends or did you have something before that too? I'm trying to think that that may have been the first one. Uh, my brain is like getting, uh, my hard drive is full. <laughs> I think that was the, that was like the first one. And that was like back in maybe 2010 or nine, maybe even actually. Oh no, 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 no. Oh wait, no, actually earlier 2006, I had a place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that, right. I forgot. Right. I think it was yeah. that because I was yeah. I was like that was when I was playing in pedestrian and we were just like yeah Lowell was around and oh that's right and then you moved downstairs oh right now I'm well, no 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 I had a place before that place uh, on uh, on Vineland in North Hollywood oh I had and then we ended up moving back in there and taking it taking it over actually later like in like 2012 I think. Yeah, the spot in Vineland, on Vineland, I was there with uh, Gavin McKillop and Martin Lenoble and Ari Shine. We had we had that place, maybe two thousand five. Oh wow, like that long. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. wait, the place the place that I know that you had with Joel and Jeff Trot and all that, you were in there before. No, that was in Hollywood, and that was later. Oh. That was like two thousand ten. <laughs> yeah, I know okay. it's confusing because that. We went there and then we went to the place in Hollywood. And then when we lost that place, we went back and uh, the building was available in North Hollywood. So we had that. And then we got Sage and Sound. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. A, lot, a lot of studio hopping around. Uh, but yeah, I was really into having a spot, you know, pretty so early on. You started recording. Man, it's funny because I just went to your Wikipedia to like kind of refresh myself on like some stuff and like, uh, there's there's so many things that I could want to like try to touch on, but like recording with Lanois for the Willie Nelson record, oh, yeah. double drum. I mean, that's one of my favorite. I mean, I love that record, and you know, yeah, it's a it's a funny one because there's no bass on that record. It's right, just like yeah, just a lot of drums. Like yeah. his concept was the bass drums would be the bass. Right. So that that was a trip and. Was there a lot of rehearsal yeah, and, for that or, or like, or no, kind of pre-production? No. Wow. No, it was the scary, <laughs> it was the scariest record ever because, uh, all, all Daniel told me was he's like, don't play anything typical. And Willie would play the song one time and then we would track it and, and no charts. We didn't make any charts. And that's back when I think my brain worked a lot better. Like my memory was, was pretty good. And we just, you just do it. And no more than two takes, maybe three takes of something, but wow. Yeah. And, and all in one room, like there, you wow. know, no, no separation, just going for it. 
Did you? Uh, how did you know Lanois, or what was that connection? I I met him through Scott Weiland. Actually, uh, I was working with, was first. with you know I was working with Scott on his solo album, okay. and when we were working on that, we were we were saying like who would be the ultimate guy we would ever want to work with, and it was Daniel, and so we sent him a cassette of our songs. Okay. Uh, and he got back to us late in the process, but ended up mixing that record. And, wow. uh, and then we just became friends. He went on tour with us for a minute. Uh, and then I just started playing with him and he started inviting me to do things. And it was, it was amazing and scary. And, right. And I was newly clean. Like it was a lot of things all going on, you know, was, you and Scott at the time were like, kind of like staying answer that but yeah (laughs) yeah i mean he you know he went in and out uh and i i i was able to stay clean i got clean in 97 right okay and that's kind of when things started to take off for you too it seemed like just like studio wise like yeah it's funny you know because i i always wanted to be a band guy like i one didn't think that I could be a studio guy. I, you know, not a schooled guy, didn't go to school. Uh, and I was in a bunch of bands that, you know, would get signed, uh, do stuff and get dropped. And, uh, yeah, my goal was to be in a band. I didn't really, I, yeah, I just didn't, I don't know. I, I couldn't see myself doing session. I just didn't think I was good enough to tell the truth, you know? And, but I think, that somewhere in there having that kind of band guy mentality ultimately actually kind of helped out or like, because the, the first sessions I was getting like in the early nineties, uh, where, where a lot of like punk rock bands were getting signed to major labels and then the drummers couldn't play to a click track. So I would get called and I would come and either ghost on it or be credited. And right. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Like, but funny to think now that that's originally like, you know, it's kind of like a punk rock guy, you know, that could play with a click. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes some cred away. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. That's funny. Um, and then, uh, what was the other one I was like, Oh, the, the, the Cornell record. Were you yeah. the track on that? Which is funny, that actually came from the Willie Nelson record because Chris liked that record. Uh, And he reached out to me. I think he was talking to Daniel for a minute to produce his record. And then we met, and then he asked me to come play on that. And that was a pretty amazing experience uh, just because, you know, uh, I wasn't into like the whole grunge thing as it was going on, or I would, I would say I wasn't appreciating it at, at the time because we were all about the same age and that just wasn't the music I was into. And I, I always thought I was like, Oh, the guy's a good singer, but it wasn't anything like, you know, I wasn't like a big fan. And then going to cut the track we did, he was standing in front of me singing and hearing that voice and like, see, like, you know, being a couple feet away from it was super powerful. I was like, Oh shit. Okay. I get this. Like right. the guy is, insanely talented yeah he, but, when you cut the drums he was like five <laughs> right there yeah <laughs> yeah holy shit just really? like right sit like singing to me too it was like he was like looking at me and singing and it was like i mean i don't know if that was a scratch or what but it was like it was it was pretty amazing that's so, crazy yeah it was a cool experience i i, re- I remember a similar feeling going in before I ever did gigs with him, I went and auditioned in 2007. Yep. And I remember walk him. I th- first, I, maybe I, I must've gone early in or something. And he came in and he, he just came in from his car, like out of the street. And he just started like, like his warm up was almost like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just like, Holy shit. Really? And then we just, played the three tunes and it was like okay damn yeah <laughs> yeah he's he was a powerful presence and yeah. he was a super sweet guy i ran into him a couple times through the years and he was just always super nice and yeah 
Yeah. Who did that tour? Oh, that was um, Greg Upchurch did that tour, right? Great drummer, yeah. Yeah. Because I talked to Rick Markman, who played bass on that tour. Yeah. Yeah. We we talked about all that and just hanging with him and, you know, the fact that I got to know him a little and play with him was just like, I just couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. That's a pretty cool feeling. Like when you, when you get to work with an artist, and like, uh, you know, I don't know. You you can take it for granted, or maybe you don't quite understand like why they're you know people adore them as they do. And then you're in the room and you see them do their thing, and you're like, oh yeah, I get it. Like you're when you witness it firsthand. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I feel like I, I could elaborate like on that like a bunch of times, but this is not about me. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and then when you did when you did that Avril tune, do you was that like a thing where like was was that like a um did things start to like snowball after that, or do you feel like things were moving already? I mean, it was fun. Like uh, around that time, I was playing with Beck. And I think getting in Beck's band at that time kind of opened a lot of doors because, uh, yeah, there were just a lot, a lot of producers wanted to use that band. Uh, and then after I played on that song, for sure, I had, I would say I, I had my, a minute for sure off of that. And it's, it's funny. That was one of those records and I'm sure you've had plenty of these where, you go in and on, on that same week, I remember working on another girl's record that I thought was amazing, mm -hmm. uh, that didn't do anything, ended up not doing anything. And the Avril record, honestly, like when I, when we were doing it, I didn't, I didn't think much of it. I just, it was another thing. And, yep. and, uh, yeah. And then it's, you, you, I couldn't pick them at that time for sure. It's hard to pick it's, which <laughs> ones are going to be huge and which ones are going to fall by the wayside. Never been my strong suit. I mean, yeah. I had that experience ten, uh, like just a lot. Where you're like, "Oh, this is, this is huge. This like this yeah. is huge." You know? Yeah. No. <laughs> that, that, and that's why we're drummers, yeah. <laughs> not AR people. <laughs> yeah. So when all right, so when you're working that much, why did you feel the need to like get a space with with other people? Well, you, you know, I, I kind of could see even back as early as 2003 or like, I don't know, you know, I didn't know what the trajectory was. You know, I didn't, I, I never, I didn't have a plan. It wasn't be like, oh, I'm going to be a studio guy and this is what I'm going to do. But I wanted to write. My, my goal always was just to be a part of something. And I always liked working with other people uh, and just to have a place that, I could keep learning about recording drums and doing stuff. And, you know, I don't know, just, uh, yeah, I just, I wanted to learn more and I, I loved recording and I figured if I could be around guys and if I could always be around engineers, I would learn more. Uh, and, uh, I, sorry about that. We got kicked out for a spam call. Yeah. Uh, I think I got most of what you said. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, just like uh, I, I, that early on, I started to see even that the it was going to change because okay. I could see sessions were already changing the way things were going. You know, when I first started, like I, I did my first record in 89. So like I got to have a bit of a taste of like, there was so much work going on that like, and there were still all these great, the, the historic guys we think of, these legends still working, but there would be all this, I called it like B work or like cutout bin records that you still got to cut your teeth and do that. But even by 2003, I could see that things were changing and I figured that, yeah, also having a studio would make it so that I could work. And there were always things smaller projects that were harder to go to a studio or people didn't want to pay for cartage or all these things. So I was like, I, I just thought, man, let's have a space. And then also the thing of the sound of the drums. And I'm sure you've, you've encountered this through the years. You might work with an engineer or somebody and you hear the sound of your drums back and you're like, man, that's not what my kit sounds like or not how I want it to sound. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that, 
the more I could learn about it, you know, that, uh, that I could have some sort of control over that, you know? Interesting. Right. And then, so was that, was it by design to like find a room or, and, or have like the engineer friend that you wanted? Yeah. Always. It's fun. Yeah. I always relied pretty heavily on like finding an engineer that I really liked that we could communicate and that, you know, we could, uh, it was interesting because also when I first came up, there was, it was the drum sounds were just drums, wide open drums, very like traditional sounding things. And I, I wanted to do just some weirder sounds or like, you know, try and experiment with things. And sometimes guys would be into it and sometimes not at all. Like they'd be like, Hey, why you take that stuff off your drums? They're, they're too dead, you know, or, uh, there was some pushback at times. So I figured if I could have guys, uh, that would be into that. And then also like, I wanted to learn more. I knew I could learn from them. Uh, I was just always kind of interested in that stuff. You know, you think, um, engineers and or producers have become more controlling over drum sounds at this point or, or is it the same, but just different sounds. I think maybe different. I guess it, it, it's so funny because every producer is very different, right? And I think at this point, it's hard to say. I think when you're a younger guy coming up, you ha- you might have less say because they don't know if they can trust you. But as time goes on, you know, if I hire Blair, I know what Blair's like capable of, or like you're gonna, you know. I think guys that have been doing it a long time uh have a wide variety you'd be selling it short to go oh you know blair has a dead drum sound because no blair could also have a wide open drum sound he could have any sound that you want yeah they they, i think producers hopefully are coming to you or us or all the guys that hire and go oh this guy will hear the song he'll know what's right for it i think that's such a big part of it yeah Uh, because yeah, uh, because I, I feel you know obviously demos are probably a little more or a lot more elaborate these days than yeah. they could have been you know I mean yeah. we're talking a long time ago too right like yeah years ago but yeah the fact that like you know people can really get specific with samples and their programming oh yeah things like that yeah and then figuring out I mean a lot of that now right is like oh they want it to sound like the samples or something that fits inside of those samples. And I think, you know, when I, when I first was coming up or playing drums, I wasn't thinking so much about like, uh, the sound of it, you're thinking about playing. And then when you start recording, you realize how important the sounds are. Yeah. Uh, and I think in some ways I was really lucky that I always had such shitty drums when I was a kid <laughs> that I was like, do all the experiment different ways to get them to sound, you know, right. Uh, semi-decent and and in that i learned a bunch of little tricks or you know but it's funny i think that's a big part like if you're a young guy coming up it's not just about your facility it's about the sounds right really a lot of it's about the sounds, right yeah i mean how to tune your drums and how quickly you can get a sound when you know somebody says oh that's not it or you know yeah to understand how to get from point a to point b yeah did, so when you worked with Lanois, like a, like specifically on the on the Willie Nelson record, how much thought was was he putting into like what he wanted your drums to sound like, or was it really just like Victor, you do you? Uh, it was a lot. He let me do my thing. The thing that we we focused on was having just two bass drums that were pitched differently. So I think I was playing the bigger bass drum because I had one, and then we used. He had a house kit that was always set up and mic'd. His thing was everything's mic'd and ready to go at all times right. and, and always be recording. Right. Like record people jamming, record anything in between because sometimes these little magical things happen and then they get lost. Yeah. So that I, I remember, I'll, I'll never forget that. It's just always be recording, like always have something. He'd always have a dat rolling if he wasn't in record. Right. It wasn't and, a just thing they thought of, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please record. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, so in in like in those studio. I mean, you. So you always had an engineer, and then you had to go. Like, was it COVID? Well, the studio, yeah, uh, Sage and Sound got bought, and you got kind of got pushed out of there. But yeah, yeah, there was always like it was. Yeah, the pandemic was actually kind of ama- amazing in that way, and also like a little bit terrifying. But you know, that many years of having a studio, I had a pretty good idea of like where I liked things to be placed or how I like things to sound. And then I also had the luxury of like, once I got up and running to like send my, send stuff off to like, you know, four different engineers and go, Hey, how is this? Is my, you know, is the phase, right? Uh, what can I do better? Right. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Figuring out the limitations of the room I'm in, you know, I'm basically in a garage and then I had to figure out how to treat the garage, like at your house to make it. Yeah. Did you, so did you build out at all or did you just no no i just kind of treated the room it's funny actually with a lot of these kind of picture tiles okay because there's a a couple different like layers to them okay. and so uh they're great like for like just treating the room like to get rid of the reflections and stuff uh yeah i just kind of had to do it kind of all ad hoc and just you know by the seat of my pants. And that, now I, I really love it. Like at first it was, it was really scary and intimidating. Uh, and sometimes it is hard if you're engineering by yourself and like the things that are hard, if you're doing like a, a TV show or a movie where there's a, a hundred different cues and you're trying to keep track of all the files and do stuff and do different takes and, and layer things like that gets in those moments. I'm like, Oh man, I wish I had an engineer and I could just focus on the playing aspect of it. But other than that, like I really, now I really love it. Um, right. It's just, uh, yeah, it's convenient. And it's like, I, and I get to have it sound the way I want it to sound. So you had to develop like a system once COVID hit to continue to do like film and commercials and things like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was real, you know, and it's funny because really early on when I was like getting into more like writing songs, like I, I, I used pro tools and stuff like that. And then it had been years before I, I had, since I had touched it really, because always there would be an engineer. So like just getting back into all that stuff again and learning how to do so. I'm still learning, always learning, you know? Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think there's like a level of like, you know, you just have to uh, ed- be educated, you know, and, and, and just keep learning. And that, it's still that way with drums still really like uh, I find that I get stagnant when I'm not in the mindset of that I'm a student. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I always have to keep learning new things or try and, you know, come up with some new thing that keeps you excited to keep doing it, you know? Cause you're, I mean, you're not like a practicer, right? No, not real. Except in baseball season, <laughs> I'll sit with a practice pad and watch a game. Okay. But it's funny, like even playing the kit by myself, like, I just get bored after a while. I love playing with other people. Now I love recording by myself. It's funny like that. I really love. Right. But if it's just to sit and play, I can do it for a little while, especially if I've got like, you know, a new little thing going on. Like I, I, you know, there's a new sound I've come up with like, uh, on a mic, you get some weird, crazy, like I see your videos all the time and you'll have like this cool sound. Then it's fun to play for 10, 15 minutes because you have this cool sound and it's super inspiring. But after that, if there's not a song to play or other people to play with, I just like. Right. Yeah. So your thing, your, your, your kind of inspiration is more about like, like kind of like studio tweaking or like. Yeah. Like a tuning. For sure. Whatever. Yeah. And, and I love drums. I love playing drums, but sitting there practicing it just uh it depends yeah like i said but i i mean i will sit for three hours every day when baseball's on and just play you know to get my hands together like you dude, know we're baseball dude <laughs> yeah oh yeah i love baseball okay well we we'll, we'll have to start watching some baseball because yeah 
baseball is never not on in my house these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, bet. I used to hate baseball and now I really love baseball, you know? Yeah. It's funny. I was not a sports guy and somewhere, I don't know, 2006 or something, a friend took me to a game and I just kind of really fell in love with it. And, and the thing I loved about it is I kind of equated it to like, being a, a session guy or a musician on a session where you are part of a team, but when you're up, like uh, it's like being up to bat and, and depending where your head is at, like clearly if you're in the room, you have the skills to be there. There's a reason you're there, but on any day you can either suck or be great. And it really depends where your head is at. And for me, like I've never been a, a guy that was like uh, really confident for whatever reason. Uh, and so I always have fought this, this vo inner voice that was just telling me I would, I would suck or I was going to mess things up. And uh, so I love that watching baseball, you can see the guys go through these great athletes, right. Yeah. That are, they, they belong there, but if they get into this little downward spiral, it just goes south until they figure it out and then it clicks again you know man it's it's crazy to hear you say that because um i would never think that about you because you're always so from what i know you know i know you well enough like you always seem just very relaxed and cool and um like an inner confidence you know what i mean yeah that could not be <laughs> <laughs> not be further from the truth yeah it's that's, funny like I, I think in some ways i've been able to to use it as a tool to not be complacent mm -hmm. uh but there's not I, I it's rare that i show up to play and i'm not nervous or like uh yeah i never feel confident to the truth it's like i mean someday i think the the producers i love know how to make you feel confident Sure. and relaxed right and then and if you feel like you're in a safe place you're gonna get then that's great and then you're not thinking about it but i would say most times i'm like yeah i just not that's not the way i'm not built that way well i think i think part of it is being a session musician you don't always know what you're walking into especially yeah. <laughs> right you really yeah. oh yeah walking into um and you got to be on your game, right? An album is one thing or, or yeah. just a tune. You're like, okay, there's a presumably one. It's simpler. Yeah. Two, you're going to have some time and some, maybe some input on creativity, uh, to really help you kind of gel with <laughs> the piece of music. But film is like, this is the key. <clears throat> needs to be executed like this and let's go. <laughs> yeah. And, and the reading thing was never, you know, I, I learned it pretty late. Mm -hmm. I, I learned, uh, in like 2010 or so. Wow. Because I had done a movie, uh, I did 40 year old virgin with Lyle Workman. And on that, there was no reading. We were just, you know, treating it like a record. And then after that, I started getting calls from composers and I had to tell them initially, I was like, man, I, you know, I had, I have, I was in band in junior high, so I could read some rhythms, mm -hmm. but I, I asked them to send me the charts ahead of time. I said, I'll study and I'll, I'll get it. And I went to, uh, a friend of mine, uh, who was a great reader and like sat with him and he helped me out through the charts. And then from then, you know, I just kept, trying and and studying and now now i can sight read uh -huh. and i show up and i don't get the music before but honestly every time i have a movie i don't sleep the night before because it just also feels so unnatural like uh yeah you know, like you were saying on a record you get to be yourself and you can you know add what you would do but a movie's so specific and and for me, it's funny, like odd meters and, and stuff like that never came very naturally. I didn't really growing up to listening to stuff in odd times. So it just like always freaks me out. Right. But, Do you feel more, more comfortable with that stuff now? I mean, because the film thing, it's usually like, <clears throat> there's a bar of seven. It's not oh, yeah. things in seven. It's like, yeah, 
Yeah, thing- no, I, I, I definitely am, a, am much better now, but yeah, I always like, you know, will panic. Yeah. Cause even then it's not even like, you know, a bunch of bars seven. It's a, it's a bar seven. It's a bar five. It's a bar three. It's like that, that stuff still like, I, I just get like all tensed <laughs> up and, uh, and I always have to tell myself, it's like, just breathe, relax and take it note by note. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you, um, do you kind of practice reading? Do you keep it up? Cause the sight reading thing for me, it's like, man, I've read, you know, we're, we're almost like opposite. I was like overschooled for me. And it took me a long time to like, try to like shed that. I was like, okay, I don't, right. I don't want to sound like that or be like that. And, um, you know, I, I even like stopped playing on a pad for like a long time. Cause I was just like, I don't want to sound like I just want a different sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But the, yeah, I, the, the I, I, thing goes away in a way. It's like a, it's like a muscle memory and it will go away. It's in there, but it, it like, it needs to be used. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, when I have a bunch of movies in a row, it works out great and I feel more confident about it. And then, you know, it's weird. That's a sporadic thing for me. You know, this last week I had two movies in a row. And it was great because I was like, oh, okay, I got this. Yeah. But yeah, I can go months without having to read a chart. And then all of a sudden it's that same, like really panicking again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And I I always intend to study or like practice that. And then of course, you know, between, you know, other jobs and kids and life, like it just, honestly, I, I don't get around to it that as often as I probably should. And I would say that's the thing. If you were, if I was a, a younger guy, I would have, I would have taken that more serious or studied that. But like, you know, like I said, that I never th- saw that as my path. Uh, and so, yeah, I wish I would have been more open to those sorts of things or like even, yeah, just, you know, I wish I would have went to school for it. Do you, do you, do you feel like, now it's about counting for you or is it more just about like recognition of phrasing? Uh, it's, it's probably phrases. Yeah. Counting ne- never works out good for me in anything. <laughs> it really doesn't. I just not, it, it's funny. I'm not, I'm not a, I, I don't use my head when I play. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's, it's just has, it's more from the heart, I would say, sure. you know, like, in anything but yeah if i'm sitting there counting something's gonna go horribly wrong i know what you, i mean that's a developed skill like thinking while you're yeah. like a developed skill yeah I, like for me that was like playing jazz and like hearing form and and or thinking form especially when it's not just like 32 bars or whatever or yeah. there's a bunch of you know a sections like where am i which a section is this like wait turn your yeah. brain on dude yeah um, but then finding up finding a place where you're not thinking, where you're playing, but you're not thinking, but you are thinking. It's like, yeah. It's like, yeah. And the thing that I want to put out there, and then somebody has to come up with this, is a, a better way for drummers to be able to have a, their music in front of them somehow. Because, you know, I, even just this last week, there's this chart and it's six pages long and you're looking literally behind you and trying to play over here. And it's just yeah. like, man, like... There has to be a better way. Somebody has to come up with something. I literally had that like a month ago too. I was just like, the chart. I think the chart was six pages. Yeah. And at some point, I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to like unfold it. <laughs> I'm have to one hand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Luckily, we did. We kind of did it in one take. It was just like a, you know, it was just some crazy ass rock tune, but it wasn't like overly complicated. It was just that the chart was like ridiculous changes were like all over the place (laughs) yeah it really like i don't know that kind of that i don't know there has to be a better way right (laughs) but it's funny you can't think of because there's mic stands there's all this stuff it's like where are you gonna put it right that's it it's like like your your guitar player friend grabs two two stands and they spread out and but you have like a hi-hat mic in the way and and you're like you can't hear you know (laughs) that's funny um so how much film are you doing at home? Uh, a little less now. I mean, I'm doing TV shows at home. Okay. Uh, 
but movies now people are going back to studios again so you know yeah and you're happy with like the sound of your room with the treatment in it is what yeah. kind of in there what's that kind of floor is in there it's like a cement floor but i have a bunch of rugs okay so it's 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 good i i actually i really like it i really like the sounds and uh yeah cuz i don't ever really need like a really big room sound uh and nowadays if i when i do it's it's actually pretty easy to fake i mean the biggest difference about now and say even like 2010 was like the plugins weren't as good you know uh and recording something at home like you couldn't make it as sound as good as you can now right you know it's it, the technology is really it's pretty amazing you know that that room that studio you had with Vince and Dave I don't know what the name of it was it was the upstairs one yeah Selma I lo- I always loved that room it was like a small me too wood floor that was like yeah sounded really good it sounded great in there and it's funny because that ceiling wasn't very high really but right. it still sounded really great in there yeah i think like a lot of things and you know this too it's like you have to play for the room you're in right and how you hit how you're going to hit the symbols is going to be different and you just figure that out that's part of like the things that uh get instilled in you over years and years of playing it's like oh this i ha- what what is the capabilities of this room should i be uh playing louder should i be playing lighter like things you figure out you know right yeah um what's your favorite like gear that's happening right now? Uh, I don't, you know, the the thing that's pretty amazing is like the, the UA stuff is, was a lifesaver for me. Forget it. You know, I had Mike Pre's and stuff like that, but I needed more stuff and like having those, like the X eight P's like, and the plugins that go with those, like it's, they're really great. Are you Uh, running outboard um, Mike Pre's or are you all in there? I have some outboard mic pre's and I have a bunch of compressors. There's like, uh, yeah, there's like some of the outboard compressors. I, I really love still kind of over some of the plug-in ones, but there's a lot of plug-in ones I use. I I really like, I don't even know if you need any extra outboard gear anymore. I mean, I have it and I use it because I have it, but do you need it? I don't, I don't think you do. I think you could get by without it these days. I, I hate to admit it, but I, I think you're right. And I, yeah. I just talked to Miles McPherson. Are you yeah. Yeah, I, I know. He told me he sold all his outboard gear and he's just in the UA stuff. Yeah. He's the first person I've talked to that was like, literally like I'm selling my, my outboard gear and I'm just committing to that. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. I think now you can finally do that. Like even, you know, I don't know, five years ago, I, I would have, you'd think somebody was crazy for doing that, but I think the technology is, is there. It sounds really great. You know? Yeah. Are you going to Nashville? Uh, about a bunch. Yeah. I've been, I've been going out there quite a bit. I, I'm going out there next week. I'll be out there. Uh, and I really, I love going out there and I love playing with those guys. Uh, I don't know that I could do that full time, but like, but it's, it's fun to be in a room with a bunch of guys and you've got to cut a bunch of songs and you know, you gotta, that it, there really is that pressure of like trying to nail it in the first take. And do you, So tell me it, about like your approach, like, like an LA session compared to a Nashville type session like that i think there's just like they want to move it along pretty it reminds me more of like how movie sessions are run out here where it's like they don't want to take a bunch of time like you want to get it in the first couple of takes and you've really got to get to the point so like i think the skill set in that is like hearing something and internalizing it and then knowing what to do or like what you can add to it um and I, there's so many great guys out there. I think, you know, maybe a reason that I get asked to go out there is because maybe I'll do some other shaker or weird sounding things that maybe somebody else wouldn't do. I don't know. But, uh, um, but yeah, just that thing of 
having to do it quick, you know? Yeah. Does that, does that bring you nerves or is that? Yeah, no, I mean, it's so, you know, it's funny. It's like the, before you're cutting the first song, I feel I'll be really nervous. And then once you get going, then the nerves kind of go away and you settle into it. It's like, like playing a concert or something. I always feel that way too. It's like the first song is like, ah, and then you get through the first song. Like, okay, here we go. And then you kind of relax into it. Uh, But yeah, just like a, there's there's that that thrill of being in a room with so many people and usually there's like two or three guitar players you know maybe pedal steel player it's like it sounds like a record right away you know and so that's pretty exciting and the the musicians out there are just phenomenal like is that um uh is it the same kind of crew of people typically that you're working for? Yeah. I mean, it's really, there's just a couple producers that hire me out there and that's how I ended up out there. So it's always like the same mm-hmm. cast of characters basically. Yeah. And how many days is it usually when you're going? Man, sometimes there are sometimes I go out there and I literally will go out there for one day and fly back. Uh, or, you know, if I'm lucky that it's like a couple days, but it's, it's just like in and out. Wow. Because we'll do like four songs in a day, you know, it just before, you know, you do four songs before five o'clock. <laughs> you're done. And you're just you know. bringing a pair of sticks or not even, or what do you? Yeah. I'll just bring sticks and maybe a couple weird shakers or stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, there, there's always great gear out there. Right. Though I wish there's sometimes I do wish I could bring some of my stuff, but. Do you have a kit that lives there or is it all just rental? No, no, there's like a, I'll either get drums. Like if I record at Blackbird, they have a ton of amazing kits there. And then if not like uh, the drum paradise guys out there are, are really great. They have tons of great stuff. Is that anybody from uh, originally from the LA? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the, the how that works out. There must be, right? There must be some connection there. Maybe some connection. Yeah. Yeah. All I know is that there's a there's a eighties bell brass sitting in the drum paradise in LA and uh there that I don't think it's used often. I was like, oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I always asking for the bell brasses. Those are like I love the stairs so much. You own one? A real one? Uh, no, not a Tama one. I had a Orange County percussion made me one. They made me a couple actually. Uh, and I use those 95% of the time. And one even has a head that's probably like 10 years old on it. That's my favorite one. So if, if you're getting Angel City cartage, do you have John bring you one of his or do you use the other one? <laughs> uh, you know, I actually use the, the Orange County ones. Okay. Yeah, I, I haven't used the Tama one in God many years. Okay, many the, the the Orange County ones are amazing because they're just slightly different than the Tama ones, uh, but I I really love it and especially the one that has the head that's so old. It's like just I'm so scared this head is going to break because there's even like a little crack <laughs> in it, and I know it's going to go any day. And it's just like it'll never. It's be- just been it's been sitting in such a sweet spot for so many years now. I'm like man, I. There, there will come a very sad day, I'm sure. You'll have to just take an old used head from another drummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even it's funny because even when they wear out, there's still something about, you know, they could be different. Right? Uh, yeah, they just, yeah, they, yeah. It's like they sit, they sit in there enough. It just becomes, becomes one. <laughs> it becomes one. Yeah. Wait, what's your, do you have a favorite snare drum? The Hewer, the Hewer, uh, Hewer. I have that. I have that up right now, actually. The Hitmaker one. Yeah, the six and a half. Yeah. I think I bought it because of you. Actually, yeah. I think I either played yours. I think I probably played yours. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that up right now. I love that drum too. Somebody told me he's building some uh, bell brass style snares. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's <laughs> he's got some amazing craziness going on i'm like what do i need to sell here <laughs> i know wait did you have a hewer kit you had a hewer kit i did i did yeah and i when i got divorced i sold it sadly 
Yeah, it was mahogany and it was amazing. That's the one I had up at that studio. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was a beautiful. You know, actually, who had it before me was uh, Kurt Piscara. Oh, really? You bought it from Kurt? Yeah. Oh. I think, no, I think Kurt had it. It was made for Kurt. Kurt maybe sold it back to those guys and then I got it. And then I sold it. I think, did I sell it back to them? Maybe I did, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, yeah, because somebody wa- had been wanting that kit and asking about it. Oh, wow. And now I'm super bummed that I sold it. <laughs> you got it. You can have- such, such is life, you know, of, uh, you know, that's the, the high price of divorces. <sighs> what, what, what do we do? Just, just tip a 40 or something? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Spill my coffee right here. Um, I know I have a thousand more questions. I I'm literally like, uh, what you know, like I I feel like we're we're like going through stuff so fast that like I've been thinking about talk asking you about. Oh oh okay, so you work with Joe Ciccarelli a lot. Yeah. How much have you picked Joe's brain and how much have you tried to adopt into your own recordings? It's funny you say that because we just did a record last week and he did something very cool with the fat 47 that I want to try. Yeah. All these guys, right? Like you watch what they do. You emulate things. He, he does a thing where he takes a fat 47, he puts it upside down and he has it, over the hole so there's like a d12 in the kick but Mm -hmm. really close to the front head and also kind of facing down like this uh and then takes the fat 47 upside down and it's over the top part of the hole and you know i i that's the thing i'm gonna try uh this maybe today actually okay Uh, but yeah all all of these things and it's funny like joe joe loves to tape up the hi-hats oh yeah Uh, and so I've done that and there have been some crazy Joe things like, uh, he would ever, I don't know if you ever worked with him. If he ever did like a hi-hat tent, you know, we would do when we do really crazy. So he would make a tent around the hi-hat. And so you have to stick your, put your stick in the tent if I come out. So there's no room, like no bleed or anything. Yeah. yeah. Is that an overdub thing or that's like a track? No. Oh no. That's a track thing. Oh wow. Yeah. So, but he hasn't done that in a while. That was years ago. I've been working with Joe since I was like, since 95, I think was the first time I worked with Joe. Wow. A really long time ago. Has yeah. that, So have you seen him evolve like Mike? Mike? Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. But he, like his attention to detail is like, like nobody else's for sure. Like he, he's the guy you can do a bunch of takes and he'll come out and move a microphone like that much. And then like, okay, we're going to do more takes now. Yeah. Like he is really, uh, I don't know that I can ever get to that level of detail. <laughs> like him, he, he just has great ears and That's, yeah, it's a different level of ears. Yeah. 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 And sometimes I, I want to go, I'm more about just capturing the moment. Right that's the there's the thing between engineers and and when you're playing right it's like capturing that moment and who knows when you're going to feel it it is is it the first take or is it on take 17 when do you when do you arrive at that point where you're like oh man that's it you know yeah especially in a band situation a live situation yeah yeah and sometimes once you hit that one you go past it and it's hard to get back to that one oh yeah for right. sure everybody just lands on the same yeah page yeah yeah um there's a mic i just discovered you might be into that the alien eight so it's this guy down in australia have you seen this mic i've seen it i think maybe through you or one of your videos or something bill molina just turned it on to me right and it's insane I'm is sure. that the one that's the figure eight mic or no? Yeah. Yeah. It's the figure eight and it's got 
three different settings to use uh, either the top capsule, the bottom capsule, because they're turned backwards, so they both face forward. Right. Wow. Yeah. And uh, it's got like a almost like a D12 sound to it, but then you can on the front section, it's got like it's got more high end, but it right. really is crazy low end, and it still has attack. That's so, cool. It, yeah, I have to it, check that out. I, excuse me. I bought it. Oh, like Bill was using it on this session that I did like a few weeks ago, and he he like pulled off the uh, he pulled off the uh, tunnel, the kick drum tunnel, and there was like one mic there, and I was like, I was like, dude, what's up with that? He goes, oh yeah, blah blah blah. This mic. He's like, it's the only thing I use now, and I was like, oh okay. <laughs> I grabbed my phone and yeah. I bought it. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's funny. From Bill, I got. A, I ended up buying one of the old Unidynes uh, for the snare. Like I love those microphones. Five, it's, five? What's that? Five forty. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the cool thing, right? Like all the different engineers you work with, you can pick up little things and tricks. Or like, hey, why are you doing this? Why? Why do you do that? Like, why are you putting that there? Like, yeah, that's that's the cool thing about getting to learn all that stuff. And that's the cool thing about the videos that you're making, you know, like, so guys can see that and experiment and figure out how to get sounds and, and really like, uh, you know, in the world today, like trying to get crazier, weird, different sounds and how do I approach this? And yeah. And, and developing all those skills. Like it's so important. Like, these are things you don't think about when you're first starting to play drums, right? You're like, oh, I just want to play the drums, but there's this whole big world around it, like, you know, yeah. depending how far you want to get into it. Are you a, like a mic, um, like movement tweaker? Not like Chicarelli style, but like, like yeah. amount of mics or whatever, or do you kind of stay with the setup and just mute and unmute and, you know? I mean, now, uh, now I pretty much stay, though I keep adding stuff. I have like, I get weird little guys i just got this weird little akai microwave i'm gonna grab it real quick cool <laughs> yeah i was on a session and a guy was using this this guy eves was using this little akai m8 and it's like was a, it's like a 60s kind of like a voice recorder okay and then I put that like kind of down on the ground behind me and run it through some crazy compressor, okay. you know, but yeah, I always, the microphones are a sickness really. It's like, there's sometimes <laughs> I have to go, okay, I have everything that I could really, that I need, right. Everything else is just, but, but generally for recording, I set up a bunch of different mics so I can have a bunch of different sounds. Uh, and then, you know, whoever I send the track to, they can mute and unmute things to get different combinations of things, you know? Yeah. So if you want it to sound more traditional drum sound, you'll have that. If you want to have a more freaky kind of crazy sound, you can have that. And even a couple different variations of that. How many mics, how many, mics, how many channels are you running usually? I think I'm doing like maybe 13 tracks. Is that right? Yeah. Something like that. Kind of a lot. Yeah. And and there's like I think maybe four mics that are like more kind of fucked up and weird sounding. And then even one I've been using one of those Altec salt shaker mics in the room and I actually put I dedicate it and put a reverb on it. Oh. Uh, and so that that's there a little bit. Yep. I love those. Those salt Yeah, me too. Yeah. What are you doing for your room? Like how are you dealing with your room because it's a relatively mm -hmm. small space? Right now I have two ribbons, two cascades that I love. They're like not expensive mics and I keep them kind of down low. Okay. Uh, you know, I, the different studios, sometimes I would have them up high, but with these ribbons down low, it's cool because there's more, you know, I get a lot more low end down there. Okay. Uh, I do the opposite. I'm always trying to get the low end out of my particular room because it's just right. way too woofy. Yeah. Yeah, for this room, it works out like uh, every room's kind of different, right? You just have to find that spot. And, you know, I think I started them up kind of uh, at waist level and then I've brought them down a bit. And then even watching like 
I got that kind of from Kurt Schneider, like where he would have two coals really down low and they just sounded great. Kurt, it's funny because Kurt was a big inspiration for me in my, like almost literally my room. And I was like, kind of how I thought about dividing my room, the cement floor. I was like, oh, okay, that'll be okay. Because, you know, playing in Kurt's place, it was like, he made that work and that room sounds great it's amazing what he does with that room. And it's like, a, it's a pretty tiny room. I mean, the, the ceiling is great how it's pitched up, but like, man, he, I mean, it's really like engineering and like where he puts stuff and how he places stuff. Yeah. I, same way. Like he, he's a big inspiration for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, he was, I was working with him more before I got into this actual room, but I was just like, and he's so fast. Yeah. It's like, he's like, it's like, bam, like there, like there. I was like, okay, cool. We're doing that today. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it was just such a, he was, that was a really inspiring, just his space and the way he used it for me was just like a really like great kind of launch pad, you know. Same. He, and he was one of the guys when I first got set up in here that I sent stuff to. And I was like, okay, what, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And mm. You know, I think that's the other interesting thing, too, about when you send tracks to people. There are some people that I send tracks to and they're going to mix it themselves and they want to have stuff like they want to have your room mics compressed. And then you do other stuff uh, where I just sent tracks to Chris Lord Algae and he was like, oh, man, he's like, don't put the compressor on the, on your room mics. He's like, I want to be able to do that. So it's like, Oh shit. I, you know, I messed that up. Like, right. You know, and, but it's like knowing the difference of like, which guy you're going to send stuff to. Is it, is it somebody mixing at home that wants you to have presented in a way that it's like, they can just throw it in the track and it's done. Or am I sending it to somebody that's a, a proper mixer that wants nothing on there. Right. Yeah. And I've had, I've had Joe mix tracks that have come out of here and I purposely went to the sessions when he was mixing just to be like, okay, yeah, what, where am I blowing it and where am I not? You know? Yeah. And that's, that's a pretty awesome experience to be able to go like, you know, try to get some stamp of approval, but also obviously more about improving and learning from. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. And it's funny because, you know, a lot of it too is apples and oranges for people, right? Or it depends, like again, like again, who's mixing it? Like, how much control do they want over? Like, you know, and I'm sure you run into that the same thing where it's like some people want to get a drum track that sounds done and mixed, right? And if it wasn't sounding that way, they'd be like, I don't know why the drums sound this way. Like, you know, and, so, and then other. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's it. <laughs> Um, so do you make a point of asking now? Like, like, well, obviously if Chris Lord Algae calls now, you know, but yeah. do you ask other artists like, Hey, do you know who's going to mix this or who, what's happening? What's your process? I, 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 I do ask now and like try to figure out what state things are in, you know, and, uh, and the, yeah, I would say the other peril of recording at home, uh, <laughs> is also, you know, sometimes being in a rush and I've got, you know, trying to knock out a bunch of songs and I had thing, something where I sent something off to a producer and one of my, uh, overheads was out Yeah, and I didn't realize it. And luckily we caught it like, and then, you know, before I finished the whole thing, but like that thing, that's the one bummer of engineering everything yourself. It's like sometimes, you know, you take it for granted that everything's working, but there's still our mics plugged into cables, plugged into a compressor, plugged into this. And yeah. something is bound to always go wrong at some point, you know, and, and phase is tricky with that too, because sometimes yeah. in your room, unless you chuck it in multiple places, you're like, Oh, it sounds fine. It's in. Yeah. Phase. yeah. But then, you put the head put your headphones on or whatever, or you look at the wave frame waveform and you're like, maybe not so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that is things like definitely if I try a new mic and a new compressor, like I, I, I will sit there and try to mess with the phase stuff and make sure it's sitting with everything. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's tricky. And sometimes it's so subtle. It's really hard to, to get until you look at it. Right. You can look at it, but, 
Have you picked Joe's brain about phase? No, not no. I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> it's a pretty nerdy conversation, but <laughs> yeah, I have not. No, I always just look at his his miking technique and where he's putting things, and even it's interesting to me, like how what people are listening to or like where like their levels of playback. You know, yeah. I just did a thing with Nico Bolas and who's a great engineer. And I noticed he had the hi-hat mic up really like really up there. And I was like, man, for me, normally if I'm at home, I don't even want that thing in there barely, you know, or like very little, but he had it up and it's just interesting why each guy has such different things. I think it's, you know, you take a little bit. Talking about up in the mix, not physically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the placement thing to me is baffling too because sometimes, especially with hi-hat mics, sometimes the placement I see different engineers use, I'm like, really? And then, especially if it's an SM7 and it's like a really tight track and I'm thinking like, but that, that, an SM7, even though it's so directional, it actually has a really, to me, it has a very kind of organic, it just, you know, compared to a 451, it picks up a lot somehow. And I'm such a tight track but you're using an sm7 but i you know obviously they know what they're doing you know so yeah it's yeah when if you were mixing a track would you put the hi-hat mic in there or how much hi-hat would you use to me it's it's almost more of a safety thing yeah because if it's obviously if it's got to be dry then it's super helpful yeah but i have noticed too sometimes in a kind of more open track, it it can help, even if it's like minus eighteen, and it's yeah. just you know just a little bit of presence in there, just barely there. So I do think it's 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 important to give the option. Yeah, ride yeah. mic never, right? <laughs> never do it. <laughs> right. I I record it. I, I never put it. Yeah. And the, and the top and bottom Tom Mike thing, have never tried it. Scares the shit out of me. Yeah. But. <laughs> That's too bad, yeah. yeah. That's, that's above my pay grade right there. Yeah. Exactly. I'll add bottom Tom Mikes if, uh, if we can raise the, the fee. Yeah. yeah. Top one's hard enough for me. That's good exactly. enough. Yeah. yeah. That means I have to tune both heads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Forget that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for thinking of me. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for giving me your time. It's good to see you. It's been a minute. Yeah. Hopefully we can grab a coffee or something soon. Yeah. Let's do that soon. When do you guys leave? Uh, I think like the first week of June. Okay. Yeah. So I'm excited. Get out of town for a minute. Hopefully, yep. hopefully things stay cool. I don't know. I feel, I feel optimistic about the summer tour thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. The last tour we did was really fun, but also super stressful. Like everybody just trying to stay healthy and, yeah and get through it yeah um, wait i didn't see you after that show at the I, I take i took off yeah hey, you split it was, it was great i've never heard alana sound so good it was uh, so good dude the day was really fun yeah it was really fun we we i, I feel like we got a, a really good sound guy and the band just kind of it's crazy that lineup now has been together 10 years which is crazy, to wow, think. Is crazy. Like, yeah uh yeah it just kind of was clicking uh, i was i yeah, was a- i was sitting with joel and um at one point i turned around to him and i said man she sounds amazing and then like a few minutes later he goes he tapped me on the shoulder he goes is she lip syncing and i was like That's no so no way and then uh like a little later in the show she was getting a little tired and you heard a little yeah. You know, a little, I was like, I yeah, like, no, a lot of people thought that us, you know, also because of her mic technique, how far away, like really like, you know, Ninja sound guy was yeah. on it, but yeah, she sounded amazing. Uh, anyway, you know, uh, 
here, here's what I wanted to say. I was thinking about this. Uh, we were talking about uh, nerves and things like that. For younger guys uh, that might not be like, you know, savvy uh, or outgoing, uh, there's hope. Like, I feel like I was lucky enough to have a career with like, without hanging out or like, you know, like I, I like, I'm the guy that would be shy, uh, would take off after the show, uh, uh, and, that, and was still able to have a career. Right. I right. think, uh, you can be socially awkward. You can be shy. You can be, uh, not the most confident, but if you still love what you do and put your heart into it and just like, you know, let your, uh, let the music do the talking or whatever, like that you can still do stuff, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. I was, I feel like we could probably talk about this for an hour, but I was talking, I was listening to a, a Marin, Mark Marin podcast yesterday and they were talking about this exact thing, the ambition versus talent versus just personality aspect yeah. of, of, you know, they were speaking in terms of acting, but yeah. the musician thing too, of, of, uh, the ambitious person versus the, you know, super outgoing person versus the, uh, you know, just quieter, really love what the craft part of it and, and, yeah. and getting to where you, you know, where you would hope to be. If, if you're not a loud, outgoing, boisterous, yeah, you know, personality by, but just yeah. by nature and not, not to say that's bad. Right. Yeah. Because there are some people that are just naturally more effervescent, right? But yeah. Totally. And I admire that and have always admired it. And as a matter of fact, it's funny, like it makes me think of Taylor Hawkins because he was that guy who had this really, you know, like a an outgoing personality and a big personality and more like the how I always think of drummers in general, like where they're, they're, they're kind of louder and they're funny and they're outgoing. I always used to go, man, I wish I could be like that. You know, I wish I could have that thing, but all that to say, like you can, you can not have those things and still get to do what you love to do. That doesn't have to be a prerequisite for yeah. it. Yeah, man. But, uh, geez. I mean, on two notes, uh, that and just the, the whole Taylor thing. So, yeah. 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 So, yeah, and- he was a, he was a <laughs> sweet dude. Uh, I hope he's good and I hope his kids are going to be all right. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, well, man, it's lovely to see you, my man. Yeah. You've, Can always, I ask- you've always been somebody that I've I've looked up to. I don't know if I've probably said this to you, but, you know. I don't know if you remember this, but oh, here's a crazy ass story, right? On the day that, so I played with Alanis from like the last month of 2001 to January of 2006. And there was a day that I was in the studio and I was recording a record and I got a call from the management saying, hey, she's going to take a break. Like, you know, retainer ends. Uh, you know, we're we're not let you know we're not letting we're letting you guys go off retainer. So it wasn't like we were fired. We're just like, hey, that's you know, yeah. and um, and uh, I was literally re- recording a song, and the chorus was like that, like everything is going to be all right, everything is going to be okay, kind of thing, <laughs> which was kind of funny. But yeah. at the same time, that record came out, and you were on it, and I remember texting you saying like, dude, I'm on the same record as you. And I was like, so excited. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, I made it onto a record with Victor. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So Everything is going to be all right. 